What's up, guys? Pastor Josh here, Agape Center Ministries. So I am actually re-preaching a sermon, uh, the sermon that I did back on April 24th, which was a couple weeks ago. Um, it was basically revolving around this... I, I feel like this truth that can come about... I guess truth isn't the right word. I guess this mindset, that's a better word, that can come about... Christians, when we read scripture and we hear a pastor preach scripture and we read devotionals and and we we get all this instruction, right, and correction as well, you know, because we know that God's word is God breathed. It is for our instruction. It's for our correction. It's for our growth. It is the governing of our faith as Christians. I mean, this is how we even align and show to be, you know, in discernment of things that go on in our existence in this world. You know, what is of God, what's of our flesh, you know, when you look at certain things like prophecy and things like that, you always have to utilize God's word as the, the buffer, if you will, for validity and for truth. But in that, so often I think that we can develop this mindset, as I said earlier, where we're supposed to just always get it right. That we're always supposed to just be free of of of, of um, strife, free of of um, struggle, free of pain, free of, because when when we're when we're preached the word and we're taught the word and we even sometimes read the word, we can read it through those lens and 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 that 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 aspect of thinking. And I believe that it's given way to some doctrines, some, some quote, false gospels out there, especially in the West that are deceiving a lot of people in removing what I call battle theology that, that as we're going to go through this, this next, this chunk of scripture here, we're going to see that none of us have attained yet what it is that we're pressing for, but we are pushing for and striving towards that goal um, that Jesus has laid out for us because so often we can sit there and think and and I say this to my church all the time that um, when we speak of, of bad things going on in our existence and in our life that we can automatically just sit there and say that we can claim it to not be true we can we can in a sense claim that we have this authority over it to where it just needs to disappear and remove itself which in return removes the battle theology that, that is so openly spoken about in God's word, Old Testament, New Testament, and all that. Now, you know, the, the whole sense of authority and, and things like that, that, that could be for another sermon in itself. We do have authority as Christians, but what does that authority mean? Does that authority mean that every bad thing that comes over us, every sickness, illness, bad thought, that we have authority over it to have it then instantly removed. It is not what the authority that you and I have, that is not what that means. The authority has been given to Jesus Christ. He has authority in heaven and everything on earth. It's been given to him. We know in the scriptures that all authority ultimately comes from God. Jesus tells us as his disciples, as, as, as his followers, that we then need to go out and make disciples of all nations, that we take with us the authority that the gospel itself holds to be able to go and preach and teach truth. The victory, as I've preached about in the past, that we share with Christ because he is the victor. And since we abide in Christ, we then share in that victory. 
that then can give us a mindset that, that we should have and a truth that we're called to bask in, a peace that should encompass our life to where we know that nothing formed against us shall prosper. Because at the end of it all, our minds are set on heavenly and eternal things. That is the peace and the hope of the Christian. But until then, we live in a fallen world, in bodies that are dying, in a world that is rampant with sin. And we can name it, we can claim it, we can say authority over it as much as we want. Everyone listening to this message right now can attest that they have given fervent prayers of proclamation, fervent prayers of authority only to see more times than not that certain things have not been removed. And that will bring a person, any person, to the sense of theological crisis. And I feel like that there are teachers out there that are exploiting that and wanting you to sit there and believe that. Guess what? God does allow infirmities. He does welcome infirmities into creation. Why is that? Because God is sovereign. God is sovereign overall. Okay, so we know that anything in his sovereignty and his providence, anything that comes to be in existence comes to be simply because God has ordained it to be. So when people just sit there and think that everything is of the devil and everything is, is you know, that the God just wants you to be happy, healthy and whole. That is a gospel that is false. That is not the gospel that the Bible lays out. It is not a doctrine that the Bible lays out. And we're going to cover a little bit of that here real quickly as I read through some of the scripture. But I took the church a couple weeks ago to Philippians chapter 3. And starting off here, it's no confidence in the flesh. And I'm reading from the NIV. So follow along with whatever translation that you may have. This is Paul really going to lay out some fleshly attributes that he as a Jewish man, a learned Jewish man, um, had to boast, if you will to God about things that he's doing and done on earth. Okay. So he says further, my brothers and sisters rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And it is a safeguard for you. So it doesn't matter if he's being redundant in his speech. He knows all this can do is just benefit those who are, are listening. And Paul so often, when you read through his epistles, his letters are letters of correction and letters of a reminder as well to the people that he's writing to. So it's never wrong to overly state something in scripture when it comes to teaching because it's just in the end going to be for our growth and our edification. There's always fruit to come from that. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. So Paul's making reference once again to these people that maybe think that there's this do component, right? Judaizers, the, the Judaizers that believe that you had to be circumcised before you could become a Christian. Okay, all these physical acts and deeds that needed to take place, that needed to be done, that were in a sense a stumbling block and tripping up people because it wasn't the gospel that Paul preached, right? Paul's saying it's we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, that we boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. We so easily can put confidence in our flesh and our deeds, we can so easily think that we have to express or show something outwardly to prove that we are something inwardly. 
Now, yes, there's a, a an identifier of a Christian, and that is the fruit that they bear. But in regards to our efforts in outwardly showing or doing something first, this is us maybe putting too much confidence in our might and our flesh. And Paul's saying we can't put any confidence in our flesh. Why? Because our flesh is sinful. It truly is. It, it's an intertwined with pride. It's intertwined with greed. So don't have any confidence in your flesh because your flesh is going to fail you. The only confidence you're called to have is by the Holy Spirit, is by God, is by Christ. If someone else thinks it starts off here going on in the latter part of verse 4, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Now, this is Paul giving his resume. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He was the people of Israel, so he hit the bloodline there. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was the Hebrew of Hebrews. In regards to the law, he was a learned man. He was a Pharisee. He knew it all. As for zeal, he persecuted the church. You want to show that I'm on, I'm on par, that I'm game to do this, Israel? I was a Christian killer. I did all these things. As for righteousness based on the letter of the law, he, he, he was faultless, just like the rich young ruler, right? Move to the side of the spirit of the law, the letter of the law. You know, I, I did all these things perfectly. I, I didn't put any gods before God of Israel. I, I didn't I didn't create any false idols. I, I, I didn't take the Lord's name in vain. I honored my mother and my father. I, I remembered the Sabbath day and kept it holy. I didn't murder anyone. I didn't commit adultery. Um, I didn't bear false witness. I, I didn't steal and I didn't covet. Like, Right out the gate, he's letting you know, I was faultless, but there's a spirit of the law that Jesus teaches us about that we've all fallen short when it comes to these laws. And when you break one of them, you break them all. Paul's wanting to give his resume here. But whatever it says in verse 7, where gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. So whatever it was that he knew beforehand, that he thought was good and righteous and he put confidence in, these things mean nothing for the sake of Christ. What is more is I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things. To know Jesus Christ today will hold even more of a value when you know him tomorrow and so on and so on. The worth of knowing Christ is a worth that builds and builds as we grow older in this lifetime, in this fallen world. The fact that we know him becomes more and more valuable with every day that we live and we abide in him. We become more and more like him. We're not perfect, but we are being perfected. We are being sanctified. It sits here in going on. I will repeat verse 8. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. So the things and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteous, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith, understanding and know there wasn't anything I could do. There's nothing I could put confidence in. The only way that I could be saved is because of what Christ did by the grace of God and my faith being put in Christ is the thing that has saved me. Okay, that understanding and that knowledge of Christ has a value and a worth. And everything else now to this, that, that is in my life to the side of that, the old life, is considered garbage. It's rubbish. It, it, is, it is something that, that I should just push to the side because I don't want it. Because in comparison, the worth of knowing those things is nothing in regards to the worth of knowing 
Jesus Christ. Verse 10, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Now, this is Paul continuing on. You, we, just, we just heard all this wonderful stuff, okay? But we're hearing once again from Paul what, here's a, is a, a nice pricey pastoral word for you, eschatological language, end times language, a day that's yet to come language, future language that Paul is laying out for you and I, okay? He's speaking about the physical resurrection that all Christians will participate in with Christ Jesus when he comes back to claim his own, okay? We know that when we give our lives to Christ that we, in a sense, die to self, okay? There's this death of our old self and we are now raised in newness of life to walk in newness of life, to walk in the spirit, walk in love with Christ Jesus now. We are, we are called to not just raise with him, this is the signification of our baptism, okay? Being put to death with him and raised with him, but we're called once again to walk in newness of life. And that newness of life is to have fruit-bearing components, okay? It's not this complete 180 in regards to how your life looks and how it seems, but there is fruit bearing that takes place. There is a, quote, battle once again being waged now because your eyes have been opened, no longer blind to the God of this world, to, or blinded by the God of this world, to the truth of this world. And you as a Christian have an end because you realize that a battle is going on, but it's a battle that you know that's already been won. And before, while you were dead in your sins and transgressions, you were unaware of such a battle. You were just walking blindly through existence, trying to figure life out the way that you've always tried to figure it out just to come up empty, like pounding a rock, hoping to get water from it. But now with the Holy Spirit in you, sealing you for redemption, your conscience of sin, your own sin, the world's sin, to where now judgment calls need to be made in that battle. We read about it in 1 Corinthians 10, right? That God, he won't tempt you, Pat. He won't allow you to be tempted past what you can bear. This is usually misrepresented by people saying, well, look, he doesn't give you more than what you can handle. That's not what that means. What God is simply sitting there and saying is, is that you will be tempted by things in this world. You will. But there will never be an excuse that you can use to say that it was so overbearing that I never had a choice. That I never had a way out that no one else understands what it is that I'm going through. That's what that passage means. That's what it means to be a Christian. And when you understand the doctrine of justification, right? Understanding as we, we just passed Easter, that when Jesus Christ rose from the grave, that that justified us, that showed that death didn't have a hold on Christ because he knew no sin. So by the rules of it all, death couldn't hold him because death is the wage of sin. But we also know that it was an acceptable sacrifice to God. So we were then justified. The resurrection is what fed into... The, the crucifixion of Christ would mean nothing if there was no resurrection. The resurrection was the, the, the consummation of what took place on Friday. So in that, we know now that we, through our faith in Christ, through what he's done... We have been justified. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. We understand and know now that not only does his, his, his crucifixion, crucifixion and resurrection, not only does his blood cover my past sin, 
but it also covers my current sin, but it also covers my future sin. But here's the deal. We know that we can't just go around operating in sin just so as grace can continue to abound. No, because we read in Romans 6 that that's not the case. That's an exploitation of God's grace. We know that since his blood does cover sin, and since he's done what he's done for us, as we walk in that grace, we find ourselves in the decision-making process, the battling process. We find ourselves not wanting to sin. And if we do sin, we then have a repentful heart to go to Christ with sincerity about that sin, trusting that he treats that sin with compassion. That is how the Christian grows and the Christian changes. You gotta understand repentance. You gotta understand and trust in the Lord that He is faithful for forgiving those who repent of their sins and cleansing them from all unrighteousness. First John 1 9. This is how we change. But going back here to the passages, not that I have already obtained all this or over, have already at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took a hold of me. Now to go back to the emphasis though of this message, we just read all these beautiful things that Paul said about how he's considering things lost and garbage, right? How he doesn't put confidence in the flesh anymore. How he is part of the circumcision which serves God by his spirit. All these things that we can listen to as a church and go, okay, this is what it's saying that I should be doing and I don't feel like I'm really doing it. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing to be put in an honest place. Where the enemy likes to sneak in is to convince you that that means that you're some invalid Christian and you're backsliding. That's not what Paul's saying here. Paul wants to let you know as the reader that he hasn't even attained all of this yet. He hasn't attained the resurrection, of course, because he's still alive, but he continues on as he says, or have I already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take a hold of that for which Christ Jesus took a hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken a hold of it. But one thing I do, listen to this message, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This is not falling back kind of language. What is the position of a Christian? To have their default towards Christ and to keep moving forward. Christians are not called to fall back. Christians are called to keep pressing ahead, to keep holding on to what they've already attained in their maturity as well as Christians. Okay, so I'm going to continue on. All of us then who are mature should take such views. And if on some point you think differently, that to God will make clear to you. Only let us give or live up to what we have already attained. Taking a hold of the fruit that you've borne so far as a Christian, that is the standard in which now today you need to be operating in. Let go of yesterday. Today, the knowledge and the worth and the value of knowing Christ has increased. So I know what it is that I've gained and gathered from Christ, my relationship with him, abiding in him, being a part of the circumcision who serve him by spirit. 
I know now I need to continue to move forward. And then tomorrow that attainability level will be higher. And I continue on and continue on. And okay, I might slip here and slip there, but I come to him in repentance because my default is always pointed to him. Oh, this battle right here, this this decision and this mindset here, I know as it says in the Bible that the spirit and the flesh are at wage with one another, as it says in, I believe it's in Galatians. We know that that battle's going on. And I know now I have, a, I have the Holy Spirit in me to help me to look at it with different eyes and a different view to go, okay, I really abhor abhor sin and I love righteousness, but I have a flesh that still desires sin. But wait a minute, Christ died. So I know that sin is no longer my master. I'm no longer a slave to it. It can no longer control me without me having the understanding of what it does to me, the recklessness that it brings to my life. This is the end of a Christian, but it is a battle. And if you go through thinking that there is no battle, that you're just supposed to have every day perfect and nothing is supposed to be a fight because you are with Christ, you will be let down. You will begin to feel shame, not conviction. You will begin to feel like a failure and not a victor. You won't press forward. You'll fall back. And this is a theology that is being preached so prevalently in the church today, and it's, it's sad. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Understand and know, church, we cannot be surprised at the world being the world. And what does that mean? The world is sinning. We can be angry, but we're also told in the Bible, in the midst of your anger, don't sin. Okay? Anger is a righteous emotion to feel towards sin, to view it, to watch it, to see it openly practiced. The world boasts in its sin, but don't let it unhinge you from a place of being a Christian. Right? Don't let it unhinge you of being the salt and the light of the world. Don't let it draw you to then sin because we know as anyone else that sin can beget sin. It can lead to more sin. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. This is contextual speaking here about people, maybe the, the Jews that idolized everything that they, or they, they thought maybe by these outward deeds, like what they ate and all that made them righteous. So that's what he's meaning by saying that their gods is their stomach. Their mind is set on earthly things. We can struggle with this as Christians. We see it all day. We, we see it in the news. I see it on with politics. I see it. We put so much emphasis in this life, this fleeting life that's but a vapor and that is filled with earthly things, politics, rights, liberties, and all that. Your eyes need to be kept on Christ, which then puts your focus on eternal and heavenly things. And when you put your mind on earthly things and don't fill it up with heavenly things, you are open for deception. You are open for a hardness of heart that comes from sin. I see so many Christians out there being focused. And I'm not saying they're not Christians, but I'm seeing so many Christians being focused out there on man-made earthly things as some kind of validator for their Christian faith. The peace to their Christian, the peace that comes from you for you in your Christian faith is by knowing Christ Jesus, the Prince of Peace. He is peace. Because we know that this isn't our final destination. But our citizenship, as it goes on to say in verse 20, is in heaven. 
And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. That is eschatological, end times, a day that's yet to come, future language. Stop focusing on earthly things. But remember, the point of the message as well, there is a battle. God gives us armor, as it says in Ephesians 6, to fight this spiritual battle. This is not a battle of flesh and blood. This is not a battle of earthly things. This is a battle in an unseen world with dark forces. There is a God of this world that is waging war on minds and hearts and souls. We as Christians, we're not called to go out and influence culture. Okay, We're called to go out and win people for Christ, lead them to truth. It isn't about going to highly levels of, of people of influence and culture. It is about literally the low road of ministry. People not liking you because of what you preach and teach. Because the world has its precedence. The world has its culture already. Culture is not supposed to look like the church. It is not supposed to look like what the Bible says. Culture is supposed to set a landscape for us as the church that provides a lot of barriers and obstacles and hardships. The Bible lays that out. When you read throughout everything, you see enmity, strife. If you don't believe me, you have to ask them, why does God give me armor? Armor denotes what? Battle language. It just simply does. He doesn't give us a flag. He doesn't give us a, a, a rocking chair. He doesn't give us a lazy boy couch, a television. Because, hey, eventually everything's going to fit the bill for what you believe in and what I tell you is truth. So you're just going to be able to sit back, relax, and watch culture just chant. No, you are going to battle as Christians. You will. Look at the Christians of old. Look at the, 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 the saints of old. It was by their blood that we are still here talking about this amazing truth. Not by their prosperity, not by their comfort, it's by their blood. They believed in something so much that they were willing to die for it. Amen. So hopefully this message is convicting. I will make sure that I get it up, post it for you guys. Once again, I apologize that it's a little delayed. But remember, you're in a battle as Christians. You're in a fight. That, that fight's been won. That victory's already been taken by Christ. But we are still here. Our presence as a church matters on this fallen world. Harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. Okay? We need to go out as Christians and work the harvest. And it's going to be a battle. In our individual lives, sin is rampant. In, in public lives, sin is rampant. It's going to be a battle. Inwardly and outwardly. But understand and know who you belong to right? That's Jesus Christ. Thanks guys. God bless.